0: This is the Owens Recovery Science Podcast, hosted by physical therapist, Johnny Owens.
1: Hey, welcome back to the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Uh, This is your host, Johnny Owens. I'm here with Kyle Kimbrell. And today we're going to have an awesome podcast because I'm speaking to two of my favorite people in the world who are doing amazing things um at a facility out in denver colorado that we we kind of want everyone to start to learn about um, because the story is amazing what they're doing to help people is amazing how they're kind of pushing the envelope to help us learn blood flow restriction in a population that we don't really have any studies yet not really much from any clinical trials that are ongoing Um, and, and and i'll let their their founder chanda explain exactly what their group does and how they're exploring these different avenues and so they're from the Chanda um, Foundation. Is that the full name? I, I think I said right, the Chanda Foundation? Yeah, it's
2: right? the Chanda Foundation. And we have the Chanda Center for Health
3: as well.
1: Okay, and uh, you're going to definitely fill us in on, on, on what all that is here in a second. So first, I've got your bio. Chanda's got one of these bios that will make us all feel guilty that we're, we're, um, we're not given uh, 150% every day. She, she's amazing. So um, Chanda Hinton is, is the founder Um, of of this organization out there in Denver, Colorado. Um, And her story is very personal. She's super um, motivated, outgoing, full of energy, and um, is doing these amazing things. Um, And she knows it from experience, and and she'll tell us about it, that that she suffered a spinal cord injury, um, which would really take a lot of people down, and and she kind of went the other way with it. Um, she's the executive director of the Chanda Center for Health and the Chanda Plan Foundation. Um, it provides holistic collaborative access and disability, competent healthcare programs to individuals with physical disabilities. In 2009, she led the movement to pass the Colorado House Bill 1047, which created the spinal cord injury waiver, which offered a lot of the things that we do in rehabilitation, acupuncture, uh, massage, chiropractic care, through Medicaid to To start to evaluate the cost effectiveness and does this improve quality of life in persons with spinal cord injuries in the Denver metro area? Um, And I know she's doing more work. She's going to be expanding these services legislatively um, in 2020 to look at other diagnoses. In addition to all this work, uh, she presents extensively to diverse audiences about wellness and disability. She's got more honors than you can shake a stick at. So, 2008 Unsung Hero Award, um, given uh, at Denver's 150. 150th anniversary, 2010 Health and Wellness Award from the Commission for People with Disability, 2015 Kathy Vinson Award from the Colorado Cross Disability Coalition, 2015 Diversity Award from the Mayor of Denver, 2017 um, Denver Business Journal, 20, um, 40 Under 40, 2019 Linda Andre Lifetime Trailblazer um, Award, and they just keep going, man. <laughs> you need like a, a giant award rack for all this, all this right stuff. Now. yeah it, so Chanda she has a bachelor's degree in communication from the University of Denver um, and recently earned her master's in nonprofit management from Regis University in, in all her in all her freaking spare time she enjoys cheesy 80s chicks flicks nice like Kyle Colin you have something in common now that's good Yeah. I knew, I knew we had some common ground Chanda Woo! with people in the community and spending time with her loved ones. Um, And we'll put links to her organizations um, and everything that I think everyone would wanna reach out to 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 see what they can do to help or learn more. And then we also have Sarah Schaefer on um, who is the PT that works at her foundation. Um, Sarah is how we all kind of got together because she took one of our courses and got certified in blood flow restriction. She's been a PT for 27 years, uh, both in nonprofit and the private space She does uh, therapeutic clinical experience in in both neurology and orthopedics, which you you would have to be in the field she's working with Um, her passion for yoga to collaborate in the advancement of the Volo adaptive yoga program, which you might need to explain to us exactly what that is for individuals with disabilities. She has uh, what we like this kind of eclectic treatment approach with all sorts of tools in her toolbox with adaptive exercises for the mind body connection atheropraxis orthopedic dutch manual therapy techniques uh, dry needling aistm pelvic floor um, postural restorative restorative correction exercises and bfr certified she's also working on her doctoral um, at saint scholastica in duluth minnesota so so good stuff you guys welcome to the podcast and so first chanda i'd like to Get your full story. So tell us about, you know, your background, what happened to you and kind of how you came to where you are today.
2: Yeah, thank you for having us on Uh, Sarah and I are both very grateful to be connected to you guys and um, have this time with you today. So my personal story is I was injured when I was nine years old. I was accidentally shot in the, the back of the neck and it severed my spinal cord between C5 and C6. So I am a quad and I operate with the use of a power wheelchair. And um, with that, I you know, was kind of pushed into this very um, intense medical model with spinal cord injury where I was given my wheelchair and I was given medication to address all the secondary conditions that came with um, having my spinal cord injury. And that path was from when I was 9 to 21 really uh, didn't work. And so when I got to a point of having very – you know severe poor health on my deathbed um being fed intravenously as well as um other particular um intravenously as well as through a feeding tube i got to the point where i really needed to look at other options i'm sorry guys i'm turning this off um but uh i had to get to other options around um how was i going to really address my spinal cord injury using other ways in which um were more vital for my body and so for me it was really looking on acupuncture, massage and chiropractic and movement to my body, all the things that our bodies are supposed to do. And so upon that, um, doing those therapies is why you are, I mean, I'm on this podcast today is because it saved my life. And with that, um, I want to not only be talking about it, but I have spent the rest of my life making sure that other people are aware of it and getting access to it.
1: That's awesome. When, when did you start the, the Chanda organization?
2: So it's been 15 years. So we're in our 15th year anniversary. And so with that, we um, are celebrating that this year, which is very weird and exciting and fun to be thinking about this is something that we've manifested for such a long period of time and have impacted people's lives and had a lot of great people behind us. And so um, that, yeah, 15 years ago, uh, you know, was the and, and that was more of the systemic change piece, but then we realized we had to parallel like what we change with the system to impact people over a long period of time with um, how do we meet people's needs here and today with philanthropic dollars. And so then that way, we're always looking at the biggest, bigger system, but not forgetting about the day-to-day and how those two can merge together over time. Um, so we've always had those two tracks always at the forefront of priority for us.
1: So did you feel the need to start this was more from the lack of, you know, insurance coverage that you could just get this or insurance benefits run out and this isn't like a, you know, you get this for a six month prescription and then you're done and just move on with life or what what was kind of the biggest motivator you think?
2: Well, all of the above. One is that when you go to rehab, you only have a short period of time in which your insurance company will cover rehab. And so then You go home and uh, you have to really look at, well, what's my insurance company going to cover in terms of how do I live with my life with a spinal cord injury for the rest of my life, having these secondary conditions, but being proactive and preventative with them, knowing that before I used to run and now I can't run. So how do I sustain that wellness and vitality of um, health without um, having, one, my body to move it, my insurance company not covering my rehab long enough? then getting out of rehab and only covering it for a certain amount of time, but then being very limited about what it is that they cover, right? So physical therapy, maybe, but then beyond that, um, it doesn't cover the acupuncture, the massage, the chiropractic at the time in 91 or through 91 up to 2003. Obviously, that was not a coverage. I know it's covered by some insurances now, but not not prevalent um, for the general population. And then when you think about folks with physical disabilities when i turned 18 i then went on to medicaid and when you think about medicaid dollars those are going to be even more limited when than what other insurance companies might be covering and so there was that challenge as well so that challenge as well so with me it was really looking at okay how can i um so there was the insurance component but then there was also me doing a lot of research to see okay well is this just my story am i the only one that's really going through this but upon me doing some research, I, I could see that um, my story wasn't just my story. It was a lot of people's story with spinal cord injuries and other disabilities where they were just stuck in this vicious cycle of sitting in their wheelchair and taking all of these medications to address the issue, getting worse, not getting better. And so when we talk about a vicious cycle, we've got insurance that it causes a barrier. Um, and then a let alone, once you can kind of get the insurance or philanthropic dollars to fund and support that, now we're in a space where We've got to educate providers how to work with people with disabilities because right. you know there's a lot of um under misunderstanding around you know how to transfer us how to adjust a urine bag if you're on a treatment table and so all of those things are significant barriers that we had to really look at create a plan of solution and break down those barriers to truly get what we call collaborative and preventative health care where we're not looking at it sorry we're not looking at it as a model of integrative health like alternative and western medicine like i want those two terms to go away and i really want them to come together and be called integrative healthcare and so um we're really practicing that and demoing that to know that this is what everybody should be doing
1: and and the services there from a, a provider standpoint i mean you have everything from primary care physicians to therapists to massage therapists is is that right
2: yeah what we wanted to do is um when we're collaborative and not competitive healthcare, we have acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, physical therapy, adaptive yoga, care coordination, behavioral health, primary care, and dental services. And so all of that underneath one roof where there's a linear model of care, all the providers support each other, they all work together for the sake of the end user. So if the end user feels comfortable that what's being recommended by my massage therapist actually is supported um, with my primary care and that there's not this tug of war of, well, which one do I listen to or uh, a power struggle between two different providers saying, well, you know, I, I, I'm the one that takes care of you or I heal you, not yourself, but one of us, you know what I mean? And so um, we really wanted to break down those barriers in that capacity as well and um, make sure that the culture that we were building at the center really represented that. And we have done that extremely successful, which I am very um, proud of all of our providers for doing
1: that. And you primarily supported through philanthropic or also through government grants. How do you guys keep the, keep the lights on and pay for everything?
2: Yeah, so it's a combination. So we have uh, grants that we receive. We have individual donors. We do special events. And then we, do, um, we are Medicaid providers. So while we created the spinal cord injury waiver, we're also a provider of that waiver. And so when folks with spinal cord injuries come into our center to get acupuncture, massage, and chiropractic, We can um, invoice uh, medicaid and get that reimbursement back from them and so we have a little bit of reimbursement on that side as well but the chanda plan foundation really raises the money and then the center delivers the services and so the foundation will kind of substitute and meet the losses of what um, the center can't cover through those grants and individual donors there's a a small fee for service that we um, offer to our participants based on their income and so they only pay five dollars. $10 or $15 for a treatment, which is extremely low for us, again, not being the ones that create a barrier to accessing the services, because as we break down the barriers, we don't want to become the barriers. And so really keeping a check in on our mission and not ever looking at we're making money, but rather we're meeting a mission. But how do we either break even, be sustainable, um, but not always looking at the, the dollar as um that the dollar in terms of revenue is not the driver it's it's impacting people's lives
1: right well you you kept it going for 15 years which is amazing so um seem to be doing something right for sure um how would a patient get to see you is there you know specific hoops they kind of have to get through to get into the whole uh, organization or basically if if someone in the denver area is like man i know a patient that would be great for this can they just refer them over
2: yeah they can refer them over and we kind of have enrollment process and so we have on-site services and then we also have off-site services and so on-site is when they can get referred by a case manager under medicaid or maybe they're referred over by craig hospital or someone else in the community and so we have like an enrollment process so we really look at them Um, we offer them what we have internally we look at their income we then give them an opportunity to Look at well here's a treatment plan that with a sliding scale that would be really beneficial for you and then from there um our care coordinators will also just look at their lives outside of the center to make sure that you know their home they're they're uh you know they have shelter they have food at the table they have modifications in their home and so looking at who they are outside is really critical to us as well and so there's that process and then they can either um Get that sliding scale or if they're referred over and through our care coordinators going through the process of enrollment they might find out oh actually you're eligible for the spinal cord injury but you're on a different waiver so all we have to do is transfer you by calling up your case manager from this waiver to this waiver which covers the same thing only this waiver has acupuncture massage and chiropractic for you so then that allows us to give them a sliding scale for a short period of time to meet their needs now knowing that by next month we'll most likely they'll be approved, they'll be on the right waiver, and then we'll get reimbursed. And so, But that only applies to people with spinal cord injuries in the Denver metro area. But then we have an offsite service, so that's just onsite. And then our offsite services is where we do have an allocation of support that we give to individuals all over the nation. And so we have folks that are down in Texas, in Chicago, um, out in California, where they can submit to us a request to do adaptive exercise at a different location within their community. We actually started with that program and we didn't wanna push that away because we realized locally there's some folks that um, may have transportation barriers that we might wanna meet needs and have services come to their house. But then we realized that people with disabilities and spinal cord injuries don't just live in the state of Colorado. So how can we also meet some needs of folks that are in other states that um, need what we have, but we just can't do it at the same magnitude in which we are at the Chanda Center.
1: Do you see expanding this out into other regions, kind of a brick and mortar? potential. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think that our our board of directors have um, been looking very strategically at what that looks like. I think that sustainability of our center now is probably the most critical because we've just moved into the center um, or created it in 2017 and it's just growing significantly. So I think that they're really ensuring that that is very stable and then looking at models of if we do replicate, whether that be locally or into other states, what what does that model look like? Because you can replicate um, solely on your own or you can replicate in collaboration with other organizations that already have the the brick and mortar component of it and rather we're just kind of bringing in the services. And so being very creative about not utilizing more dollars or efforts or energy that maybe don't need to be don't need to be done when we can be looking at a really creative model around it. So it's definitely something that continues to be talked about. Um, we just wanna be really sure that when we do that, we're doing it in the most effective way.
1: Awesome. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Kind of similar, you know, I'm kind of in this DOD background and, and all the injuries from war and amputations and things like that. Um, and we saw some of the major failings of Vietnam was just kind of like, once you end point of care, it was over, you know? Just move on to the v a whatever you know maybe if you need some meds or something like that we We definitely didn't didn't do it as well as everyone wanted that we kind of kept you know this this collaboration, this cohort of, of individuals that that feel like I have this this something somewhere somewhere that's looking out for me. I can go back and get continued care um, and, I, and I remember one of our amputees said you know he never felt so alone than when he was discharged from us, and he was at home just sitting there looking at you know. Not having a limb and like, okay, what a, what's the rest of my life look like? And he, he's like, man, I just wanted somewhere where I could say, is there an ongoing plan to help me? Um, You know, when I I'm, I'm 20 now, but what happens when I'm 50? And you know, am I just going to go in and get new prosthetics? I could say like, you know, for spinal cord, like, so what? I just get a new wheelchair every now and then, and you know, <laughs> I'm I'm going to change over time. And there's all these you know kind of holistic approach I think, which is beautiful.
2: Yeah, and continuum of care is critical. It's like, no, you. I, I had a, a close friend of mine that said that we don't we don't face our disabilities when we're in rehab. We we face it when we go back into the world. Like we're really in our homes in community and seeing the barriers and the frustrations or the lack of continued care of of what do I do when I'm I'm being surrounded by rehab, which is a really protected, safe kind of place. And then when you go home, it's like, whoa, you fall out of your chair and you're like this is, this is reality, right? And so it's like, there's those pieces of it that are mentally and emotionally taxing, but then you got to think about the actual, um, support to the body and the healthcare. And then that's, that's a whole other thing. And so I, I often, I feel like, you know, our disabilities and maintaining wellness and can sometimes feel like a full job for people. And so that is, that's, you know, our organization and being a continuum of care where once people come, they they don't leave. It this is this is where they for the rest of their lives we hope will sustain wellness and when acute episodes come up we will, you know, increase the treatment plan. We'll make sure that we get through the acute episode. Um they have resources, they have the ability to connect with other people. Um so to really make sure that we're not allowing a level of isolation but also um just making sure that their healthcare is constantly being um supported for 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 their entire lives
1: and you were injured at, a, at a, a really young age I imagine you're seeing pediatric cases as well at, at, at the Chanda yeah we
2: see, yeah we see fewer of them just because um, we notice that when people turn 18 obviously the resources change dramatically um, mm-hmm. and so that's when uh, we have lots of families that are in scrambling uh, spaces where they're like wow my child got all of this and now that they're 18 been kicked off of all of these programs and i don't know where to go and so most of them will really um use children's hospital and so we try to work our best with children's hospital to say once people hit that transition period don't wait because i'm always in the mindset of how are we being proactive and proactive and preventative right and so this is another place of healthcare. let's stop being reactive let's be proactive so that when you guys get into that space, these families aren't freaking out, but rather there was a conversation, there was a resource, there was a process to how they would transition during that time and that they felt supported. Um, And I know that my family and I went through that scary time. And so when I see those people, um, those families, I just feel badly because I'm also like, oh my goodness, here we are in 2020 and they're still experiencing what I experienced when I was 18 with my family and so, me it just kind of still blows me away in some capacity and then I have to realize there are moments when I need to step back and be like there are so many there are only so many projects in which I can really address and break down and increase um, you know the best streamlining um, opportunity for folks because I feel there are so many of them that my heart just wants to fix all of them and so um, I got to do my best to just try to keep prioritizing some of that
1: yeah I'm sure well, and, and Kyle and Ben from our group at Combined Sections this year were able to get out and and, and visit your facility. Um, I unfortunately was flying during that day, so I, I didn't get to make it. I'll be out next time. But Kyle, can you kind of take me through um, what it was like when you went out to their facility?
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was really it was fascinating to see what they put together there, and it was it was um, kind of humbling too, honestly, because you're like, golly, Leah, you can see all the hard work that has gone into this um, for years now, you know, I mean, and hearing Shanda's story about how she was injured, um, what healthcare looked like over the course of those, those years, kind of leading up to that point where, where she described this, this point to Ben and I of, you know, she was basically on her deathbed and then they get her, I don't know, stabilized back to, you know, some semblance of health, and Chanda asked the people, "Okay, what do I do now?" And they were like, "Well, here are the drugs that you were taking before," um, and, and it was like back to kind of just where you were. And, and Chanda, as you you've already heard, is like, "Well, hell no, we're, that ain't that's not happening." Like I'm I'm fixing that. So um, and and so here we are now. You know, getting to go to this really cool facility um, that, that a lot of thought has gone into the design of it. I I thought, you know, kind of, you already sort of drew the parallel to CFI, Johnny. Um, there was so much thought into just like the design and the look, um, and the needs of the, the patients that, that would come through there. Um, just looking at at every single room, every room has a, this cool lift that's above it. You know, it looks more like a person's bedroom than it does a treatment room. Um, and I, I thought that the, the one of the coolest things was just hearing how all the medical professionals there collaborate with one another um how, how chanda has forced them all to use the same office it's All um, play nice like the that is box. so awesome you know um and, and and you know and it's 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 you see her leadership kind of throughout that whole thing which was really really cool and, and it was fun to meet all the different providers, um, and and kind of hear what it's like for someone coming there for the first time, or coming there for uh, a daily a daily uh, a visit, um, and all the different things all the different things that they do. Um, to me, I, I made the comment to them, and I'll I'll make it here. You know, you looked at it and you went, "God, this is really truly healthcare. This isn't modern medical management, which is what most of us get." through the health insurance that we have but what they have really there is 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 truly healthcare um because the patient is really kind of put first as much as it can be the whole way uh, and that's very obvious i think so i i would like to hear from sarah cuz we've uh, i think we could talk to chanda the whole time <laughs> very easily and, and i believe sarah is very very uh accustomed to that um but i'm, I'm curious sarah if you wouldn't mind just kind of jumping in and telling us a little bit about your career trajectory, how you ended up getting linked up with Chanda and then maybe walk us through what it's like to work in this multidisciplinary environment where you get to take care of these people that have have needs far and above um, the typical musculoskeletal outpatient physical therapist that's gonna be listening to our podcast and just kinda uh, let us hear what that's that's like.
3: Sure, I'd be delighted. Um, Gosh, it's so fun to hear this conversation and I'm so delighted to be here. Um, As you can tell, Chanda is a door opener, not a gatekeeper. As I like to describe her, you know, the energy, her knowledge, her dynamic personality, the spirit, she's an open book. And so I think that that transparency kind of transcends what happens at the facility um, in a very collaborative way. And, um, you know, my background is in spinal cord injury for the first five years of my career. And then. Moved into outpatient orthopedics. I uh, owned a private practice for 10 years and uh, kind of made a lifestyle decision to move to, to Denver and be a part of nature and be a part of connecting with nature. And um, Chanda actually came to my adaptive yoga class, and that's where we met. And in my mind, I sort of cyber stalked her a bit and thought, you know, I. I think it's likely that uh, I'm going to be working at your facility.
0: I did that to, I'll did that to me. I, 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 did, I did that to, I did that to
1: Johnny <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah,
0: uh, I
3: love
1: it. it works. Yeah,
3: absolutely. It totally no, don't give people sense.
1: ideas out there, right? We don't the, need that, Chanda. Johnny's DMs are blown up right now.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just so organic. And and that's when you listen to Chanda speak, that's what you hear. It's just a very organic, loving conversation. And so she attracts people and providers that think like her. Um, and you know, to have, wow, first time in my career to have chiropractors, acupuncturists, massage therapists, all sharing their thoughts and insights on how to collaboratively and creatively care for people has been just so fun. I mean, it's it's 27 years in or 28 years in whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm having fun and, um, the uh, ability to kind of take the technology of sports medicine, having worked with high level athletes and bring the same technology to our participants and individuals who are full-time wheelchair users is amazing. I mean, it's it's incredible. And I've just been floored at the lack of access. And so that's what inspires me is Chanda's vision of um, caring for others and creating a sustainable product um, that can continue on with or without any of us there is is the whole key and the whole mission. Did I answer your question?
0: That was great. (laughs) That was was wonderful. Yeah, no. um, So why don't you describe the facility to us? Um, Just kind of the basic setup uh, and then maybe talk us through what it's like for a, a patient when they, when they come in there, like for an initial visit, uh, and then maybe like your follow-up visits. And I know those are kind of very person to person, but you know, just maybe a a general synopsis of that. So
3: we're kind of in an interesting situation in that the spinal cord injury waiver does not cover physical therapy services. And so um, as Medicaid providers, um, there is an opportunity there to receive physical therapy, um, but the reimbursement levels are, are quite limited And we're in the process of kind of testing the system to see um, what the system actually will provide uh, for individuals on a Medicaid, a physical therapy Medicaid provider basis. Um, And so right now um, the physical therapy services are really funded through grants and through private donations. And so when an individual comes in, um, what is unique about this is most people are, you know, between two and 48 years post-injury. And so they're at a different place than when someone's say in an inpatient rehab hospital setting. And so really the focus becomes not what can I impart to them, but what are their needs? What are they looking for? Are they looking for the development of a therapeutic home exercise program? Are they looking for something specific around a rotator cuff injury um, from repetitive manual chair propelling? Um, you know, and so we really, um, open those questions up, you know, are they looking for information about, you know, positioning and, um, sex and disability, which is a a common topic that, um, kind of gets glazed over. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, we really, you know, are customizing and catering the program to what they're expressing their needs are, not what I think they might need.
1: And is that Medicaid guidance, is that state by state, varies quite a bit, or is it pretty much everyone, it's piss poor reimbursement for physical therapy?
3: (laughs) I think it's state by state. Um, I was in Texas the majority of my career, which I know uh, the reimbursement was quite limited there. And so I'm new to testing the Medicaid system in Colorado. You have any thoughts on that, Chanda?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely state by state and then, but I don't think that Colorado is pretty progressive in Medicaid. So if, if Colorado is not doing it as significantly well, I'm not really confident in other states doing it. And so, but yes, it is state by state. I just think that um, each state has to really fight for um, it being more, being reimbursed more and that there's, that there's more time in which you can have access physical therapy just like the acupuncture massage and chiropractic like we want that to be very similar to where it's like you get so many number of units where it's not a constant you got to get a pre like a a pre-approval and then you got to justify again within after nine treatments things like that and then that the reimbursement is better so i do see us doing additional legislation around this specifically um but we we just needed to really expand the waiver first and then next year I'm sure we'll be adding the, the that part to it.
3: Awesome. And we've also had preliminary meetings with the state of Colorado Medicaid provider office, Dora, and um, you know, are beginning to present our case around the lack of Medicaid coverage or the limited Medicaid coverage. You know, you and I can go and get a massage or we can go and do a workout at the gym after work um, but you know, this, um, these individuals need the opportunity to be able to access the same things that you and I do. Our physiology is the same, you know, our insulin growth factor one is the same, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's
0: the, that's one of the things that has been fun for me getting to talk to all these elite level sports teams and whatnot. I, I look at that and I go, well, why doesn't everybody have access to this? You know, why can't everybody come in? Every day, if they need to, if it's warranted, if we can really defend it, and receive the care, that's how I complete every course now. And I've said it on here before. That's that's Kyle's Fantasy Land. At the end of the course, I describe to you what I envision being where we go, and, and that wouldn't be any different for the person with the spinal cord injury. So, I wonder, Sarah, could you maybe maybe tell us a little bit about some of the successes you have seen treatment-wise? due to this collaborative effort that you got, collaborative effort that you guys Mm -hmm. have been able to, that that Chanda has put together, and then maybe some of the little hiccups that that you've kind of had along the way in terms of trying to figure out how do I work with a chiropractor and an acupuncturist and the physician and that sort of thing?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, we did basically a case study or a pilot study um, that began with 12 individuals, and we had nine people actually complete the pilot study. And, uh, let's see about six of those, um, had injuries that were between T seven and T 12 paraplegia, And we had four individuals that, uh, were, uh, at a level of C three, C four. And, uh, it was really interesting. Of course we took, uh, you know, ratings of perceived exertion, blood pressure, pre and post, uh, treatment as well as heart rate. And we really did not have any, um, really unremarkable global changes um, in terms of people's concerns about actually receiving BFR. Um, The biggest uh, complaints or difficulties I think we had were itchy skin under the tourniquet, which I think everyone has experienced. And then um, one of the challenges we had when we were uh, trying to take limb occlusion pressure was that spasticity, either in the upper extremity or lower extremity would create a an error message, and so, sometimes it would take five or six trials to actually get the limb occlusion pressure to actually start the process. But those were uh, fairly minor, um, and that was just a matter of repeating the process and readjusting the cuff and all the things that, that we learned in the course. Um, but gosh, I think that some of the more remarkable um, responses were you know, improved gait speed with push off, um, people describing able to like even hold their pelvis in neutral when lying on their back. Um, and if you think about the, the lordosis that happens when you sit in a chair all day and the tight psoas and hip flexors that occur, um, that's, that's a big deal as far as uh, pressure and skin management. Um, even improved, um, sitting trunk balance, like, uh, in a shower chair, you know, not having to use their upper extremities to support themselves while taking a shower. Um, one person described they got stuck on a slide board transfer and that no one was there, and he was able to actually uh, get himself out of the stuck situation. So that that was a big deal, um, and even hand to mouth function—just uh, being able to bring, say, a granola bar from uh, placed on the top of your hand to your mouth and being at, having the opportunity to feed yourself—just huge. It was, it was very exciting. I would say the average strength and range of motion improvements uh, were at about 54%. So about half of the, not half of the people, all the people made on average about 54% improvement in their actual objective measures, which was very exciting.
0: Wow. That's, awesome. uh, that's cool.
3: Let's see what else.
0: I know one of the things that, you know, the conversations that you and Chanda and Ben and I had was some of the challenges with being able to get a spinal cord injury victim to exert themselves to really kind of expend some energy during exercise, just given the limitations and function and that sort of thing. So maybe Chanda, maybe you even could speak to that a little bit, just the the ability that you notice to be able to just work harder.
2: Yeah. I think um Sarah, how did you, how did you phrase it? The um, uh, exertion, how do you say it? Cause you say it
3: so right the rating of perceived exertion or
2: no how much like how much actual um low intensity with like how do you say like yeah yeah.
3: so so for example like there are many muscles with chanda where she her highest exertion is 30 percent of her one rep max right Mm -hmm. and so um it's been extraordinary to be able to have her exercise is that what you mean chanda yeah, because like, um,
2: for example, like my ability to, I can do, um, it's, you know, doing 10 of these means I actually get the better, I it's almost like I did 100 of them, right? So with me being only to move so much of my body, and Sarah, you say the term so well, that's so I'm trying to get you to say what it is.
3: <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I say.
2: <laughs> with it, uh, it's um, with um, low low intensity movement or
3: insertion oh, with yeah, yeah low in, low intensity exercise with the ability to still obtain the effects of what we get during a high intensity exercise
2: yes so that okay, is, like, that. That is exactly <laughs> it. that's beautiful because it's like for me one of the things that I told Sarah is like I, w- I want to have my heart rate up I want to I want to feel that again I want to feel that for the sake of like burning off frustration, like that feels good. Like we all know that after we work out, it's like, wow, like we not only did something that burnt off some frustration, but we just feel good. And so for me, it was like having that heart rate ability to go up. um, That was one. But then also I wanted to look at how I could lose um, some weight and source in areas of my body that like for the longest time I haven't been able to do. And so like it's beautiful because I was able to actually do that too. And then I was able to gain um, more mobility. So between like, you know, my heart rate, having that euphoria within my mental capacity, you know, my mental mind and burning off, along with, um, you know, increased mobility in my, because of my muscle strength, and then losing some of my weight that I wanted to, like those three things were my top priorities and we were able to do them. And so, for, and, and within my limited mobility as a quad right so that that was so exciting for me because it's like I want, I'm a quad but I still want to work out I want to pump some iron and feel good so <laughs> so and, and
3: enter aerial yoga so um we've been kind of melding all of these different worlds and aerial yoga well, what the heck is that right so it's this silk that can either be attached to the ceiling or to an actual um, aerial frame. And basically what it does is allow someone who is sitting in a chair to actually kind of strap in. So um, the shoulders kind of wrap into the silk and maybe uh, in the future we could have some pictures of some of these things because we've got some nice pictures. Kyle, you have pictures of these.
0: I was gonna say, I know when we were there, I did some video of you doing that and we put it on our little Instagram story. Yeah, yeah. we got some some pictures and video that you sent too. So so doing that with BFR?
3: With BFR, yeah. So we have Chanda supported by a silk hanging from the ceiling, which creates decompression in her spine, which is why that feels so fabulous. And then she's able to kind of rock front to back and side to side with her body without falling out of the chair while under BFR uh, restriction. And then she is using uh, one and two pound weights with cuffs in her hands, so gloves specially made to uh, hold the weights. Since she doesn't have the dexterity in her fingers for that. And then when we first started, she could tolerate one eight-minute session. Pretty fatiguing. Um, and with a, maybe a five to seven minute break in between, and then a second eight minute session. And now she plows through between four and five, eight minute sessions with maybe one minute break in between, just enough to, to take a quick break. Um, initially her heart rate, she could get it up to maybe 85, 90, and now she's consistently up to 120 while exercising.
1: Wow. That's awesome. So
3: that's hence the, the effects that she's, the physiologic effects that she's feeling when um, in terms of losing weight, in terms of euphoria and all the fun things that you described, Chanda. Yeah, and using the silk too is another way for me to
2: have stabilization as a quad. When I would wanna use my arms to do what I needed to do, my upper trunk would like fall over. So then I'm like, wait, I can't, I can't do a workout without being. So then with the silk, it allowed the decompression but it also allowed for me to have stability so that way I could actually do what I needed to do. Um, and, and then, you know, I even go back to like, I love all the, uh, physiological changes that I experienced, but one of the things that felt really, really cool to me is that I was able to be like, yeah, I just got done working out like as a quad from nine until I was 37, like, I I never really got to say that. And so me being like, yeah, I just got done working out. Like it felt, it felt good to say that. And when we say that, like that's profound in terms of like how that affects, like how we feel about ourselves, how we are in the world, because that's, you know, those terms are just powerful. And so the, the mental and the physical, the physiological um, components of it was, it's just fun. It's amazing. So.
1: I think that that cardiovascular piece is something that that isn't really considered quite a bit in people with spinal cord injury. That, that was actually, um, in my master's thesis, that's what we looked at is, you know, because you can't get a workout that gets your heart rate up. And, and the part of the problem too, is even when we had some really high end, um, wheelchair racers come in, the lactate that they build up in their arms is become so intolerable they they almost they get lactate intolerance before they get a, an actual heart um, workout lots of times you know so we were seeing their heart rate yeah. was to get enough but just that burn cuz if you build up a lot of lactate in your legs it's such a large muscle mass you know you can kind of clear it um, but building up all this lactate in their arms they weren't getting a true cardiovascular workout so you know we we knew that spinal cord injury people had a higher incidence of of heart failure because of that you know unfortunately that that's kind of what what can get you um, and uh, peripheral arterial diseases um, from that stasis and not moving. You know, in our work, what we were trying to do is, it, you know, none of it worked. But even doing arm bikes back in our my thesis work, we were trying to see if you did clockwise, could you get a heart increase your heart rate better? Counterclockwise, if you did it, you know, symmetrically versus asymmetric, none of it, none of it seemed to work. <laughs> and so that's where, you know, I'm really hoping we get, continue to get this data from you guys, because I think that's one of the main paths we want to go down is how can we do this to affect the cardiovascular system? And we're measuring VO2 max changes um, to be able to see, can we go after that first? You know, because a lot of people are like, yeah, does it help with strength hypertrophy range or whatever? Man, if we can get this cardiovascular response, that's more of a mortality issue. Um, than just a function of life issue and, and then we talk about it on our podcast a whole lot this hypoxia seems to be the genesis to be able to help create capillary beds you get angiogenesis from it and that is a big deal in in an immobilized population who isn't able to use a lot of their their capillary beds especially in the lower extremities um, and so hopefully they, yeah
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to just say uh, as a side comment, I appreciate you really talking about that cardiovascular piece because um, what's happening um, with just overall improvements of how people take care of themselves. Of course, people's spinal cord injuries are aging. And so there's kind of a new uh, development with people who have chronic autonomic dysreflexia where they get cardiac myopathies Mm -hmm. because of the chronic high state of blood pressure. And then of course baroreceptors receptors and, um, are responding by trying to decrease. And so AD autonomic dysreflexia is just, it's really a big deal. Yeah, And, um, we're constantly trying to create ways to, to work around that, but still keep people's hearts healthy.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and that's where I want to kind of get across on the podcast, our relationship with you guys. Um, you know, not only want to put out like the badass stuff you're doing and I wish we had one of your centers in like every city um but no one is testing this really you know we're we're trying to get work in the spinal cord injury populations with this and it, you know so far we just haven't had anyone really take a crack at it and so for you guys to say yeah you know we're willing to do this on, on ourselves, <laughs> Chanda, as well as on our patients to start giving you guys pilot data and measure hemodynamic responses, measuring tolerance, measuring functional. That, that's huge because now we finally, when people say, well, do you have pilot data? We can say, yeah, here we go. And it's from this organization um, and what they've done. We have a great relationship with the University of Colorado. We already have studies going with them. Can we take that data, apply for funding? And, and actually get real clinical trials to see if this is something that we should be doing from rehab. Cause I, I think that's what helps with the payment. You know, if we, Correct. Show, yeah, we show, okay, if these people do this, we do help with cardiovascular disease or we get this VO2 response, we get this angiogenic response. This needs to be a real reimbursable that people need to come in because you know what it does? It keeps them from all the expensive costs, which happen as you're, get the comorbidities of, of dying in life. Um, when it really happens, you know, what helps the healthcare system is a steep curve of mortality. You do pretty well in life and then you just die. You don't just slowly every, you know, I got diabetes now, hypertension, peripheral arterial disease, and all the expenses that go along with that. Um, so it, it, it definitely buys into what we're, we're looking at. So Sarah, did you, and, and Chanda have a plan that, like, hey, I'm going to go get blood flow restriction certified and start this, or you just pop in one day and say, Chanda, guess what? I got a tourniquet. I'm going to get a tourniquet and I'm going to put it on you and we're going to do it.
3: <laughs> no, um, actually, I was at um, a pain neuroscience conference in Denver a couple, maybe two years, well, two and a half, three years ago or so. And um, Ado Zalstra, who's a, a colleague and friend of mine, and he's mm-hmm. kind of been the founder of dry needling, we were having just kind of a sidebar conversation around BFR. And I was like, what the heck is that? Why do I not know about this? And so we started talking about it. And then, um, you know, I got online and asked a few questions of your organization. And basically two weeks later, I flew down to Dallas and got certified. I was like, there's no reason this can't be applied to uh, uh, the Chanda Center. I was super excited about it because it's kind of one of the first things I've seen in a long, long time that actually has the potential to be a huge game changer.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. We hear that over and over. And yeah. Ada was a good friend. We're supposed to be at a conference together this summer. So I'm, I'm hoping it still happens. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's dynamic right now. It is. And then, Janda, was there any, you know, issues with like, okay, we're ready to move forward, collecting some pilot data with no, this? When,
2: no, when Sarah brought it up, I got really excited. And then it was just... um. Sarah and I having conversations with you all to be like, okay, well, is this something you guys all want to um, look at with us? And you, you were all game. And so with that, it was really easy for us with your guys' support to be able to, um, you know, do the pilot, collect the data, still do it. And um, I was just excited. And at first it was, you know, when I first started doing it because it was a little bit, I had some struggle with it in the very beginning. I wasn't I wasn't quite sure, right? But then as I like kept doing it, I just, the profound results and the things that I shared with you, it just made me even more excited. And then, you know, just Sarah, when even when we have like visitors that come through the center, or even explaining it to participants, like she drew out that, she drew out the diagram to really explain what physiologically was happening um by using bfr which was so beautiful to share because when when we can have a better understanding of our bodies and like why it's doing what it's doing by using this that like i think that also gives a a whole nother reference that is really important because i think often we all disconnect with our bodies the mind-body connection and i think that granted i feel like folks with disabilities we i think there's a level sometimes we're forced to be really really in touch with our bodies because we've got to be aware of a lot of stuff. And then there are other times where folks are so disconnected from their bodies because of paralysis. And so you either find somebody kind of on either end of the, uh, you know, the spectrum there. And so for me, um, when Sarah brought it up and you guys jumped in, it was just really, it was a no brainer. And I'm just extremely glad that we've done it. I'm extremely glad that um, we've seen the results and just continue to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah it's empowering to know your physiology still works. Right. And, and that we can tap into it. And, and like you said, to actually, to do it and then feel like when you got done, like, wow, I actually did something. You know, mm-hmm. I always quote my first elderly patient that did it elderly female. Um, she got done and she said, I haven't felt my body do that in 30 years. Um, you know? And so I, it feels like that might be kind of the same sensation that you're getting over there. Just super
2: cool. And cool. knowing, knowing that, because um, when you talk about your, you know, um, your heart and all, you know, the cardiovascular components of the body. And when you're not having access to that, because you can't move your body, it's scary because you're just like, wow, I don't, I don't want that. And my lack of access to be the the thing that takes me out. Right. And so it's really, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's incredible to see that we're, um, just being, we're all being innovative again and making sure that we're using whatever tool is out there to really, give, um, additional opportunity.
1: Well, hopefully this podcast piques some interest in some of these spinal cord injury centers around the country. You know, maybe someone will hear it and and they can reach out to you and and then we can start to get a collaborative effort. You know, that would be
3: fantastic.
1: Yeah. And we need to get you guys, I'm going to make it happen. We're going to get some more units sent out to you guys. Um, which, which sounds like from talking to you all that will help. So that that's going to happen. So we can't ignore it right now. How is COVID affecting you guys? It's affecting everybody.
2: Yeah, uh, we we had to we had to close the center just because, not temporary, like just meaning like for social distancing, making sure that we're um, with our folks, being you know, quote unquote considered vulnerable within our lung capacity, all those kinds of things. We really want to be. Mindful that we're not categorizing that, but that we're also just being safe with our providers, our staff, the participants that we serve. And so we felt as a healthcare organization that we needed to um, temporary close for the sake of um, supporting, you know, the flattening the curve, social distancing. But now what we've done is we've gotten just innovative around telehealth. And so all of our behavioral health is being done through telehealth. Our Um, primary care is telehealth and then um, our care coordinators are reaching out to all of those that maybe aren't doing primary care or um, counseling future telehealth just to check in on them are they okay Um, are their resources okay in terms of are they getting their durable medical equipment their gloves all the things that they need to function daily Um, so they're checking in with them and then a lot of our providers we're going to be doing some Facebook live um, classes just like when when we're (laughs) When we're stuck at home for a month doing this um let's just talk about ways in which we can do a breathing exercise maybe sarah is going to talk about when you're sitting in your wheelchair for those that are able to let's not only breathe but let's do some sort of like movement in whatever capacity you can so still trying to touch them in whatever way we can during this little temporary um, period of time and uh i know that you know everyone's just concerned and we're trying not to feed the fear, but we're also trying to balance the fact that we're learning a lot of creativity and innovation during this time, but I also don't want the creativity and innovation to take away the fact that, um, there are people that are really, really, that are dying and that's very sad. And so it's, yeah. it's heavy for all of us.
1: Yeah. Well, but you made your patients more functional. So if anything, you you've made them more resilient during this time, which is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, and that's hard to not be able to be there to support them, too, because we know how vital our services are. And so we want to keep them healthy, but yet we don't want to get close to them because it's like, so there's that really weird tug, um, tug with that. And Sarah, I'm mm-hmm. sure that
3: you, you get that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had quite a few check-ins with folks and um, it, it it's, it's tough, um, but it's also really interesting to think about, okay, well, So can we do an adaptive chair class from Facebook? Yes. So that's in the works um, for that entire month of April. And then um, just, you know, I can go on and on about inclusive fitness. So um, that could be hours and hours of very boring video, I'm sure. (laughs) But helpful video. (laughs) So, yeah.
2: And I I think, Sarah, too, it's making... I, I think there's also some really cool things, especially with what I'm seeing the government do around, like, you know, our local state is getting approval from CMS for a lot of things that, like, we've been fighting for for a really long time. Yeah. This comes in, they're like, done, done, done. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to reel back yeah. some of the things that we've been trying to fight for for a long time. And then thinking of telehealth, like, we've been wanting to do telehealth with primary care, Ever since we partnered with Denver Health. And so now that they're on board with it, the primary care is like, well, it's gonna be kind of hard to get people to come back in. And I'm like, hey, I support that because we should have already been doing that from the very beginning. So I think that it's gonna open up some areas where as humans, we're still gonna be able to connect, but we're also going to be meeting the need of our population that maybe doesn't have to drive all the way to see our doctor just for an eye to eye contact that happens on a video just to refill their six months prescriptions. It's like your uh, subscriptions for uh, medication. It's like that. That's that, that so I'm seeing that there's going to be some things where we've been pushed that are really going to like hopefully stay there.
1: Yeah. Hopefully if they try and pull this telehealth back, the patients will have an uproar um, yep. and, and, and help us with this fight. I know we've all been fighting for it for a long time. So
3: yeah.
1: cool. Well, we'll, um, we're going to put links to you, your website. And if someone wanted to donate to your organization, you're a nonprofit. Um, So it's it's a charitable donation. Is that, you can do that right through the website?
2: Yeah, there's a donate button on the website.
1: All right. And Kyle put out some cool um, social media pictures that you guys sent us of your patients doing BFR. Um, Probably good to repost those along with this podcast uh, to let people see, you know, when, when the, you know when the ankle sprain patient is whining about bfr being hard for their little injury <laughs> uh, seeing a quad do it um makes it completely different so, cool anything well, thank else? you guys
3: man i just appreciate uh your willingness to collaborate with us and um kind of think outside the box and we'll see where this goes as far as bringing some real data to the table
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna be like Chanda and, and work my butt off to make it happen. So yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's my world where I can help. So I'll keep pushing. And we do we do at least two
0: courses in Denver every year. So now I'm just leaning on y'all to come and talk for a little bit. I'm just giving you the floor, or Johnny or Ben will give you the floor for a bit and just to tell all these people that came for musculoskeletal reasons. Like, yeah, that's the that's the low hanging fruit. That's, yeah. the, that's the easy. <laughs> yeah. Really, you know, that target doesn't mean as much as you know something like this where we're really Hopefully, I mean prolonging people's lives as Johnny was speaking to all the cardiovascular benefits that you know we would hope we can manipulate be great so
2: yeah I hope that anybody that's listening that's in that realm around rehab regarding spinal cord injuries like if they're listening that they reach out to to you guys and and you know say wow let's let's do something with us like I think that what's really beautiful is like knowing that in rehab it can be a possibility of a pilot there is really significant and important so i'm encouraging folks that are listening to this to reach out to johnny or kyle just to get like get this get this going in a different area as well um just because what we've shared is is it's critical and i'm i'm excited about what it looks like for the future
1: yeah we're tired of these wussy pro athletes we need to move on to a, a <laughs> deserving population <So.
2: laughs> cool awesome thank you guys well, I, so much what's that Thank you
1: guys so much. Yeah. Thank you. Stay safe out there and, and we'll see you guys soon. Okay. Sounds
3: great. Thank
2: you
1: Thanks,
0: guys. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Owens recovery science podcast. Owens recovery science is a single source for PTS OTs. ATCs, DCs, MDs, and other medical professionals seeking certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Find them online at owensrecoveryscience.com